0: Hello, I'm Mary Portis, and this is The Kindness Economy, a podcast that looks at the new values driving the businesses of tomorrow. People, planet, and profit. In that order, it's the future. Are you ready for better? At its core, sport is about the very binary concept of winning or losing. But as I watched the Euros with my nine-year-old son Horatio this summer... I realised that something else was just as important. Now, first, let me take you back to 2004, when my oldest son, Milo, was 10, and we also watched the Euros together. I think you're getting the picture of the stress levels I've had over these years, with sons sitting together and England losing. Nevertheless, back then, back in 2004 with Milo, it was Beckham. Beckham and his crew, fleeing and fame. What were they wearing? Look at the diamond stud in his ears. Then just two years later, the English wags would storm the 2006 World Cup in a riotous display of wealth and designer labels. The walking, talking embodiment of insatiable consumerism. And we all bought into it. And so this year, I relished the conversation around football and how it's changed as I watched the games this summer. In so many ways, Gareth Southgate and his team were the antithesis of what England stood for, or rather the England players in 2004. Gone were those individual egos and lavish displays. And in their place was this team of young men who embodied a far more nuanced message about masculinity, decency, and bravery, loyalty, and kindness. But above all, they were human. They triumphed, stumbled, and helped each other get back up again. Now, of course, they are making a lot of money. (laughs) Football players do make a lot of money, lots of it, but their status today is in their values. They call out racism, poverty, and homophobia. They campaign, They speak out and they drive change. So the question I ask is this. Is progress more important than winning? We didn't win the Euros, but boy did our team display an inspiring level of progress. Not just on that pitch, but off it too. Southgate gave those young players permission to do more than play football. And they did just that. But this isn't about progress in football. This is a story of our progress too. That team were a barometer of all of us as a whole. We create our heroes. In 2004, the Beckham and Bling got everyone talking because that's what we wanted. We connected to that. We brought that in. Today, we're looking for something different and more meaningful. Not everyone, of course. We're living in a time when there are strong currents often pulling against each other. But just as there was a groundswell of support and congratulation for our football teams, we must also reflect that kindness back on ourselves. We are creating change. Better values will eventually triumph. But for now, let's just celebrate how much we're progressing. Change is happening all around us. I'm Mary Portas. Welcome to The Kindness Economy. The Kindness Economy is supported by Dell Technologies because... We know when you start your business journey, you're not so much focused on the challenges you're going to face or the pivots you'll inevitably have to make along the way. You're focused on your customers, the people you set out to help. And Dell Technologies know that too, which is why they stop at nothing to find the right tech solutions for you. Do more with your devices. Call your Dell Technologies advisor today on 0800 085 4878. Four eight seven eight. Okay, here's the show. Football is the world's most watched sport, and globally we're expected to spend one hundred and two billion dollars on trainers by twenty twenty five. That's pretty staggering, isn't it? Now, put the two together and think about the reach and impact across age groups, ethnicities and continents. Wow, that feels almost limitless, doesn't it? For years, however, though, football wasn't interested in much other than flair on the pitch and ever more rabid consumption of it. But while social issues are certainly creating a stir in football, the environment... Is, well, it's making not quite such an impact. Michael Doughty wants to change that. A former professional footballer, he's co founder of High Low Athletics, renewable, carbon negative, and recyclable trainers. And he's on a mission to put considerations for the planet at the heart of the conversation around sport. But what impact does sport currently have on the planet? Does Michael think football and the love of consumerism that often drives it will ever really fully embrace the environmental message? And if it does, what is the potential to create positive change for our planet? How did you start starting in football and then end up becoming an entrepreneur with
1: a soul? Um I was potentially very honestly moving a bit laterally in my career, um, had played in the Premier League a few times, but then sort of worked with, who? What team? with QPR um, and was loving it, but always felt this sort of ambition to build something. And then from my experiences, obviously within, within the game, was quite passionate about the outdoors and nature and, and the environment and felt sort of quite acutely that the... Sort of sports ecosystem and football in particular wasn't really addressing any of those sort of issues.
0: How did you get into that? Was your parents into that? Were you? Were your family?
1: It was probably, I think, driven a bit by my mum. I don't pretend to be sort of Greta Thunberg perfect necessarily. No, you, your
0: beard's too big for that. <laughs> she doesn't have a beard. No, like that. she doesn't.
1: Yeah, but um, I think my mum was always on the earlier wave of that sort of consumer kind of change, which was recycling and you know food waste and reusable water bottles and just the simple things that most people try to do and, and do do now and i think that was sort of quite present in my upbringing um and then yeah, i think just playing sport you just you're outdoors every day so you get that feeling of nature and you get that endorphin and you connect to it i think yeah a more. It,
0: of course I, I was talking about this um i thinking about that quite often because growing up in quite an urban place, which you would have as well, that's where you did get it was either on the football pitch or <laughs> the hockey pitch in my yeah. case or whatever. There wasn't, you know, so much around us in London to do that. But I was also thinking about you'd have been at the time, I guess, when sports uh, football players actually their output and their currency not only was with the sport but how they looked and what they wore and what brands they were associated with was it around the sort of time of Beckham and you know yeah wasn't I mean, it?
1: He, he was yeah he, he was the sort of the idols as I was growing up and yeah it was very much that. Oh,
0: you're even younger how old are you I'm
1: 28 oh god you're a baby yeah baby yeah so he'd have been your he'd have been your
0: your Beckham and all that gang I can't remember half their names They'd have been the ones, but it was all about what car, who, done, they, were nearly, dating. <laughs> who they were dating and, and yeah. how their hair looked. Yeah. And it's interesting because your generation, I mean, how, how old are all the, the England team now, like Marcus Rashford and those yeah, guys? Yeah,
1: younger than me, 23, 24 yeah. average age, I reckon.
0: But it's this shift that's happened in football that's where, where their currency isn't around just the sport, but what they're doing for society, community, mm. social progress Isn't that lovely?
1: I think, yeah, I think I felt that very much in the last 18 months. I think that's been accelerated massively by the pandemic is suddenly sports people were very much like the focal point of a lot of like government stuff, like the Premier League players coming together and and donating money, etc.
0: And Southgate, the way that he's been as a manager, very Uh, sort of avuncular and and, and warm. And, you know, it talks about um, them being as a team together. You felt there was a real connection as a team and rather this individualistic way that, you know, certainly the England team used to yeah. play. So something lovely has happened and important, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, the context of the athlete has shifted, I think, within regards to brand and in regards to how we view them. Um, you know, you look at Marcus Rashford, the, probably the most clear example of changing government legislation around free school meals. And would that have happened three, four years ago? would people have said actually stick to football and be quiet? I'm not certain, but, um, you know, I do think the landscape has shifted for what athletes not only want to talk about, but are almost being demanded of in, in a yeah, way. So
0: I, I totally agree. I, you know, I was saying that um, when I, when I thought about this, it's, it's what we also called in as, as society, didn't we? You know, we, I also believe, you know, the energy is, it's a symbiotic thing, you know, they, they met us, you know, where we were as well as consumers, as people. So we were calling in, we wanted those guys to be the stars wearing their, you know, wonderful watches or advertising and being this fabulous luxury lifestyle. And that was a time, wasn't it? Now we're calling in a very different energy. We want them to reflect the movement that's happening. And that biggest movement is, of course, our planet, that our planet is dying.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a special time for me in terms of just like the experiences I've had an athlete because I didn't have the platform of the likes of Marcus Rashford. But to see those people talking about climate change, about social inequality is is, is an amazing thing because athletes, you know, since the beginning of time have been the pinnacle in many regards of, of you know, people's view of achievement. And they yes. sort of show us new sort of, I guess, depths that we weren't we weren't clear was possible to go to in many respects and that that I think aligns quite nicely with the narrative around climate change which is hey this is really tough nobody knows how to solve it really truly but we need a lot of effort and a lot of movement and
0: And you can't say that it hasn't had very real consequences for athletes either do you I mean if you think about it everyone from the British show jumpers to hockey players have had to train for for extreme heat
1: well I think I had that that sort of, I think, very personal experience towards the back end of my career at football. I was seeing flooding calling off a lot of our games, um, some of the weather inclement weather that we're seeing at the moment. And it felt like there wasn't obviously the absolute connection at that point in time between climate change and that weather pattern, but it felt like this wasn't happening before as much. I think you're seeing that, you know there was a a women's pga event in the uk last year i think or the year before this that. is golf right golf exactly that was um the forest fires disrupted and we're in the uk right and people think a lot of a lot of the time i think the challenge with climate change is trying to communicate a very slow death over 100 years or 50 years or whatever the timelines are to people and to say there's urgency required it's sort of oxymoronic concept in many ways you've got this you know you've got this long term thing but then actually a lot of stuff is happening right now and is in front of us. And mm. I think we're seeing it. I'm certainly feeling it. I don't know if you are as a, like a consumer. Of like walking out the door and it's like miles one day. I not
0: a consumer.
1: Yeah. Okay, well. Um, I, <laughs> but I know, suppose a, you do as a human. As a I'm human being. I'm walking
0: out and going, whoa, you know, th- this has changed. Yeah. You know, when I had flooding in North London in, in Primrose Hill, I was like, this cannot mm. be. Yeah. This is extraordinary. Yeah. Um, you know, down in Maiderville, didn't you? Yeah, yeah.
1: My, well, my insurance for my building now has gone up through the roof. Because of that.
0: It's just, I mean, you also, it, it well, it's, we <laughs> I'm always sort of slightly flabbergasted. And I'm, I was listening to the news this morning, you know, and on the fossil fuels and all the countries that are just fighting to keep that going and all the coal mining and what's happening in Australia and so forth. And you're like, this is still the fight for industry and growth and growth and profit all under giving people jobs, and actually, we're killing our planet. But nevertheless, um, you also mentioned the waste that sport creates, but presumably, there's other issues too, like the electricity used to power stadiums, the water needed to keep pitches and courses green, and particularly in hotter countries, <laughs> less so in ours. It creates a lot of pressure on natural resources, doesn't it? And then there's the impact that we as spectators have. For example, pre COVID, UEFA officials were proudly talking about the two million extra flights that will be taken for the 2020 Euros. The, I mean, this is this requires mass change in sport when there's so many vested and competing interests from clubs to airlines, the people producing merchandise to companies sponsoring events. Um, the eco-narrative isn't being pushed by clubs. Why do you think this is? And before we get on to you creating your trainer, why do you think that is? When you sound like as a 28-year-old, I'm sitting here as a 60-year-old, I'm not hearing that being talked about enough.
1: Yes, I think it's a very nuanced subject, first of all. And I think the answer is maybe not as simple as the one that I'm about to give. But I do think it starts with the athlete because the athlete is the person who the fans look up to, is the person who is um, playing on the pitch and is, you know, the star of the show, so to speak, within a team environment. And I think... The complexity of the subject matter sometimes makes people quite nervous to talk about it and stand up and say, actually, you know what, this isn't right. And, you know, I think we even, I struggle sometimes to interpret some of actually what is going on, but we know there is a a clear problem and, and that science is there. And I think the foundation and I think what we're trying to do a little bit with Hilo is get close to athletes educate them make them feel more confident to talk about the subject matter and then actually if it's becoming common language common currency within the sport fans clubs will start to take notice because actually the players are talking about yes. it and the players yes. are coming out and driving that narrative and i think i think it's it's that education piece around you know what we don't have to be binary and i think i'm sort of taking this on a slight tangent but my frustration sometimes with impact sustainability that world is it seems to be sort of quite binary and polarized in the sense of like oh i really care about it or you know i'm fed up of people telling me that i'm not doing enough basically but a huge middle ground where a lot of people are which we need to address and just be positive about which is hey i'm making a better step in the right direction hey i'm I'm, you know i i I ate seven meat-based meals previously and i'm doing six well you know what that's change and it's incremental right and uh, yeah
0: and, and not and not to beat yourself up actually because that's what we do tend to do so tell me about your product and how you got into doing this so hylo is a trainer effectively is it
1: correct yeah it's a running trainer um well i've got two other co-founders john and jacob jacob had a background in consumer brands and sustainability to a certain degree um and called me up one day and said which brands do i subscribe to as an athlete i was sort of the only athlete that he knew fortunately um and it sort of got me thinking actually like you said, I think previously, the sports space is very tribal. Brands have this incredibly close relationship with athletes. And what you wear is who you are in many respects. it's so
0: huge. I mean, just look at sports leisure. I mean, the whole thing has grown exponentially. Yeah. So this just feels like tipping and chipping away at a huge, huge mountain. Explain to me then yeah, how so big we,
1: you think this can go. So we, so we looked at it and we said, actually, the... The market's pretty oligalopic right you've got 10 massive massive companies or 20 yeah. or whatever but nobody's really sort of disrupted the pure sports nike adidas story
0: but the adidas and nike are doing this as well they're looking at sustainable of course before, yeah, they, they, yeah.
1: They, i mean if they move quicker than us and that'll be great for the world because they're yes. driving a lot you know they're creating a lot more impact than us all can have a lot a better mm. impact mm. um But I think there is a space for Hilo where the customer wants something new, wants, you know, new products and and wants a different story and a different narrative of winning. And I think the challenge for them or or the challenge for any brand when they're pivoting is great that they're pivoting, but when their existence is predicated on shareholder value is if you said, we're going to take away all of the 95% of products that we make that drive a lot of value for us, because they don't align with our sustainability framework and go with five, then you struggle to get that through. Whereas Hilo is, exists because of what we want to drive as an impact point. So we, we're, we're not answerable to the same questions. But anyway, we just thought there was a big opportunity. We got introduced to John, who's my third co-founder, who's a, a footwear technologist and spent 40 years in the shoe industry and was like, hey, I think there's materials and stuff that we can do here to make this happen. And
0: So talk me through the materials and how you make the shoes and take me through the whole thing, how you treat your factories, yeah. your
1: teams of people. So we, we start with our supply chain, all of technical footwear is really made in the far east. So we looked at different countries and looked at the materials that we wanted to bring together and say, how do we do this? So we minimize impact at production, because that's a a big challenge in the footwear industry is the average shoe running shows 65 materials and a ton of componentry within them. By the time you have even assembled it, you've created a ton of that footprint already. So for us. We wanted to localize our supply chain as best as possible. So we picked Putiang in China where we, um, there was a huge footwear hub and loads of suppliers around there where we could deliver our materials by road. Then yeah, we went through the audit process. So we use a third party, huge auditing company called elevate. We've recently just become members of the SAC, which is the sustainable apparel coalition, which is um for customers who who, who really want to deep dive that is a really good sense check and objectifier of companies that are trying to do good things um we then only use sea freight which is terrible for a direct consumer business in terms of our business model because um How it does it, take? it takes 40 to 45 days but the carbon emissions between sea freight and air freight are exponentially different but it that causes us a lot of challenges mm. um and then yeah we offset all of our we do this thing called an lca which is a life cycle assessment which basically creates a carbon number at the end we benchmark that carbon number against the industry standard and we look about how we can improve it and then we offset it by twice the amount of impact to make it where are you
0: carbon
1: selling negative. it where are you selling issues online direct yeah yeah We've
0: not got into anywhere else yet so uh, well, you'd love to get into that could say let's get the high low branding
1: we're doing a pop up and shelvages early next year which good. would be cool good i'm not sure retail at the moment is the right approach for us as we look to sort of Learn and build the customer base, but we no, will but, eventually. But if you go
0: into someone like self, which is what it will do for the brand. Of course, yeah, brand resonate, recognition. You know, of course. Exactly. And is this, as, as well as brand recognition and resonating, um, is this resonating with you know your customers? It's a tough balancing act, isn't it? Because we know people want to buy better, but ultimately, and I'm finding this all the time, whether it's food or fashion, they're often going to buy what looks and tastes the best. Or what's the cheapest, regardless of brand values? There is a big part of that. How, how do you do that? Tell me about that. How do you manage that?
1: Yeah, so we, I share the same sentiments. It's like I think there's, I think there's a lot of data to support this. But to get people to basically buy a product, you can use the hook of impact or sustainability. But to get people to change their consumption behaviour, it's their enjoyment of the product, right? So you might, you know you need to make sure the product lands and for us we focus on the aesthetic and the function of the product more than anything because the sustainability of it is inherent in our business anyway but if people don't like it and don't want it and it's not comparative or at least close to comparative with price around similar products and you just don't have a proposition
0: and you know you talked about you know the shortcut it's a bit like um when i talk about fashion and I love the idea, if you were able to get the Kardashians just saying, don't buy any more, you know, stuff, just only buy one piece every sort you'd be oh, my God, that would be great. It's a bit like this for you, isn't it? I mean, when you talk about athletes, if you were able to have some of those great footballers saying, actually this is the sort of stuff we should be worrying are you are you trying to get down that way are you able to cuz you must know some
1: i've got a few yeah in in the black book but i think i think it's it's a lot of heart and a lot of hustle like most startups you just sort of find opportunities where you can but i do think like what we spoke about you know it, it, for the athlete right they're earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a week from their salary some of them or, and and a lot right so that endorsement agreement on top of that is actually sometimes relatively nominal amount and and what we're trying to lean on is what is your legacy what are you going to be known for because i think the narrative of winning previously has been win at all costs right and the new athlete i think understands the importance of having that legacy but i think also to, to and i don't want to sort of devalue that sentiment but the commerciality of that as a matter of fact is obvious now because the likes of Marcus Rashford, the likes of these athletes that have actually communicated something important in society. Guess what? All bigger brands like us want to be seen to be associated with them anyway. So even if their on-field performance isn't as strong as, let's say, the best athlete in the world, they are, in some cases, much more commercial because of that opinion. And I think that's where Hilo has a unique advantage is we give them the platform to help shape that narrative for them as an ambassador. And therefore, there is a commercial I mean, ideally, I I want it to be an altruistic angle, but there is a commercial edge to that in today's society. Look, you know what? The thing is I talk about, we're not sitting here, we want this to be commercial,
0: all right? No one's going to start a business that's purely altruistic, unless you're obviously Bill Gates or someone, you know, let's be honest. So it's how we balance that. And and I'm sure people are listening and thinking, well, shouldn't we just be buying less? You know, because really, you want to sell more of this, so you've got a profitable business. And I'm wondering, is there a level of commercial success that you think, yeah, that's good enough. This is the size that we think we'd, get, we'd like to get to, which we think is a decent-sized business that's good enough for us to have a good life and really good for the planet. Have you thought that one?
1: I have, because there is this dichotomy around trying to sell something, but also trying to educate people that the best thing you can do is not buy. <laughs> yes, it is, isn't yeah. it? That's and, what we're and up it, against we, we straddle that line, and, and ultimately, internally, as a business like you know obviously we, we have to pay bills and we need to grow and we want to grow and it's a commercial enterprise but we also um want to make things better and i think whilst there are shoes being made in a way which we think we can do better or while there is sportswear that we think we can do better there's something to go after
0: yes i think look at the end of the day we ain't going to be sitting here naked <laughs> so we will be wearing clothes we will be eating but what we're saying is we need to buy less but we need to buy better that's the thing, right? Exactly. So I'm just, what I suppose what I'm asking you is, have you sat with your investors and said, right, this is where we're going to get to? And that we think is good, good for the planet and good
1: yeah, for us. Exactly. You know, I, My view is the world of sportswear is going to grow as a market. And that's because people are dressing down, they're wearing these things a lot more. And Hilo wants to be as big a force in that market as possible because I know that Hilo in its intentions and what it wants to do and its impact is a better option.
0: What are you doing differently from Veja who's been in that space for a while? What I think, makes you stand out? I thought they were brilliant when they started. Yeah. I mean, we all ended up buying that. Something went very right there. What are you doing that's different?
1: Well, there's a couple of aspects. One is product, one is brand. I'll start with brand. I think from a brand aspect, I think they're very much a leisure brand that now are doing yep. some performance stuff. We are a sports brand who will trying to align very closely with the sports industry. And then from a product proposition, we're selling a running shoe, which aligns with the brand of building a sports brand. And they are selling a lot of canvas, incredibly good looking shoes, but with an add-on of athleisure because that's a big market. And I think for us, we consider ourselves more akin to a Nike or Adidas versus whatever the Vasia comparable is of, of non-sustainable or non-impact.
0: I mean, the wider you know, conversation around sustainability in fashion, which I, we go back to, because we are talking whatever. I mean, fashion is, is whatever we put on our bodies, you know, because no one wants to put on something that's deeply ugly. And, you know, I, I think coming across with real honesty and saying we haven't got all the answers here yet, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's parts of your business where you going. I'm still trying to work that out. Stop smiling most, at of my,
1: Most of it, to be honest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Um, and, you know, we, it feels like the, the Wild West and you've got some of the big brands out there quite overtly greenwashing. And, you know, us as people, customers are at sea on this as how to make better choices. So what, what kind of questions do you think, if I'm a customer, I should be asking?
1: I think looking at sort of the, the main channels of sales is like what information are they communicating? Are they talking about their supply chain? Are they talking about their impact? Are they being honest and saying, hey, this shoe has an impact? Because I think that's one of the things that we need to sort of not conflate. Is every product has an impact, right? Nobody has created sustainable in, it, in itself. It's it, nothing. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything, and that's why at Hilo, we talk about impact. We d- yes. we actually ban the word sustainable. Um, so the team will be laughing about this a little bit. But um, um, for us, it's yeah, it's about. Being transparent being honest so just
0: talk me through impact the difference yeah. so let's just say the impact explain that the difference seems to well, stay
1: i think premise of it is every product has an impact what is that impact and how do you quantify it right and what are the tools you're using to quantify it because that's objective and at the moment we've got this sort of i think how the question was phrased is very accurate is you've got this sustainability space that is very subjective and there's a lot of different approaches and little communication points and marketing slogans and actually, if we're going to solve a problem, it requires objectivity and data and, and science, right? And so for us, we just want to back the science and back the objectivity. And that's understanding what our impact is. And like, first of all, that's your landing pad is what is your impact? Because then you can improve it and make it better. And then you can benchmark yourself against others. And if a brand is not communicating that, then how the hell does a consumer have any idea about what the playing field is? Mm. And I think that is the premise of like, what I feel very strongly about at Hilo. Um create a framework that is objective. Yes, but okay. So I go on your site and I yeah. see, what would you be
0: putting as those tenets of impact? What would I be seeing? So our co- CO2 carbon, emissions, carbon, 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 footprint. carbon
1: footprint of the shoe. So we, And the methodology behind that, the supply chain. So talking about our supplier and how we audit them, Um, talking about the materials, sure, our, yeah. our inclusion rate. So we talk about the percentage of those materials within the shoe. Because some people will say made from X and it will be 1%. <laughs> So technically that, you know, that, that is an accurate statement, but in the context of the whole shoe, that is a very inaccurate statement or a very misleading statement. And for us, it's just like trying to put it out there, even if sometimes that might feel uncomfortable and learning and iterating. And hopefully the customer understands that by us giving them that level of information that might sometimes make them question it, but at least they're getting that information. And like, we can only say we're on a journey and we're trying to improve and any other brand that says they have the full solution is lying And we just need to hope that our customer just buys into that transparency and that journey and says, you know what, you know, at least I'm getting all this information. Some of it I might not understand. Some of it I want to question. Some of it I might not agree with, but there's a framework and there's a clarity here to what I'm being given to make a a good purchasing decision. And I think that's the way brands win in this new world is don't underestimate the intelligence or the willingness of your consumer to actually want to know. And we we need to give them
0: that. Do you go to sports clubs where underprivileged kids and give them trainers?
1: Yeah, we, we, I mean, we've talked about charitable giving and we talked about how that, plays into our business model we currently donate that sounds
0: really corporate the way you've just said that doesn't it how much plays to our business model yeah
1: well it is it's always um <laughs> I'm, I'm, maybe, just,
0: I'm just thinking about you know the grassroots of who are going to be the the voices of tomorrow you yeah know, well yeah, we have and, and certainly so many so many at the heart of a lot of sports yeah are often underprivileged kids who were out just kicking a ball constantly yeah. you know they didn't all go to harrow school like you yeah
1: yeah no, no, exactly. Sense. No, that's all right. Um,
0: but that's the truth of it. You look at our British, you know, English footballers, Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, they were kids that were, their mothers were out, you know, cleaning the. And I love Sterling's story and going home to help her, you know, clean the. I played houses. with him at QPR.
1: Yeah. There we you came go. Through with him, yeah. So
0: w- surely that's as much an inroad in this is actually going into those young kids who are underprivileged might not fit into your business model but it's just a thought I'll leave you with that one that might be just a little bit better than some big name
1: no I agree with you there's a grassroots element and an educational piece that we need to do to drive change there's a heart piece there's a heart piece yeah and but the, just, I just wanted the, the technical elements of making children's shoes is is actually quite difficult as well. So it's like as a business we have yeah. Ups. But
0: most kids I'm talking about when they're eleven, twelve, most oh, of them yeah. hit size six, seven, eight.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. S-
0: stop giving me excuses. I'm just playing <laughs> with you. I'm being really naughty. And um, and so what's your ultimate vision? As we said at the start, the reach and potential of sport is huge. It's so huge. This is why I've asked you on this actually because I've not we've not covered sport before, and I think we need to get this bigger. So come on. What's the reach and potential and where would you like to see your industry in 10 years? Um, I,
1: I think I want to see a lot more transparency and clarity given to the customer. So brands mm-hmm. being able to compare themselves like for like because... Is that a policy change that we need? Uh, yeah, I think it's an adoption of legislation potentially mm-hmm. or, or just the, the industry coming together more because this is a collaborative approach that's needed to solve a very is big problem. Is there an industry
0: body on this? Because there is in the fashion industry.
1: Well, there is. Obviously, there's the Open Power Registry, the SAC that I spoke about, yeah. that we've What's joined. What's that mean? SAC. Uh, Sustainable Power Coalition, and essentially okay. just like a software that loads of companies join. and But is there big names in sport who are pushing for
0: this? I mean, like in the fashion industry, you've got the big designers
1: getting behind this. Yeah, no, of course. And I think that's incredible, but we need to understand what is the common objective or what is the how does a customer basically differentiate between somebody else's strategy and our strategy or how do we how do we create some sort of standard value of what impact is basically and i think then the customer can walk away from a purchasing decision and knowing what they're doing i think that links to sport you know you kind of know where you are with sport many times and i think you know over 10 years that's what i'd you know love to see across all consumption is like just like you see on nutritionals on on a food packet you know what you're putting into your body I don't think we know Do you know I'd what love to wearing. see?
0: I just was thinking about it because I've got a 26-year-old son and I've got a nine-year-old son. And um, what I would love to see is that maybe my nine-year-old puts on some gear for going out to play sport and he puts on his football boots and he puts on his trainers and he says he's actually proud that these are brands that have been kind to the planet and yeah. kind to the world. That, that, to me, is real progress, isn't it?
1: I think, yeah, I think when you wear a sports brand, you are pretending, like when I was a kid, when I wore a Nike top or an Adidas, I was embodying that athlete that I was visioning in my head because yeah. that marketing piece or whatever of that athlete, Tiger Woods, or all these iconic athletes that have aligned with brands, you're pretending to be that person. And that's yes. why I'm so passionate about what we're yes. doing is because I've spent thousands of hours pretending to be athletes Yes. when I was a kid. And I want to create an industry um, a future of the athlete whereby the kids who are pretending to be them are not only pretending them because of their incredible success as a sports person but as their legacy as a as a human being
0: well thank you so much for joining me today It was really really interesting and um sport we need to look at this more michael's right it's really time for conversation sport to get much louder around protecting the planet the power of the sports guys is incredible. I was even thinking about Lance Armstrong despite all the stuff that he did that was terribly wrong he raised $500 million for cancer and cancer awareness. Ian Botham and what he did for Great Ormond Street and Leukaemia and Cancer Awareness. Marcus Rushford and what he's done for school dinners for underprivileged kids. The power when you think about it and the potential of what might happen If not just football fans, but sports fans in general. United behind this cause is dizzying. Think where we're putting our money. Think what all these sports brands are selling us. And think of the effect that we can have. If we change that, it's exciting. Come on, I want to hear from you. I want to hear what we can do to really have an effect. Join me next week when my guest will be Mark Cuddigan, CEO of Ella's Kitchen. Creating healthy eating habits is at the heart of what the company does, but they're also a B Corps committed to people and planet. That's next week on The Kindness Economy with me, Mary Portas.